Tonight, the little we say can be a great blessing to you, that God will help you, God will strengthen you, and you will accelerate, and uh, you will grow stronger, and you will do exploits for God. I'm going to preach, go straight into the word of God. I've, I've titled my message, This is How We Overcome. This is how we overcome. Trust that it will be a message that will speak to you as you deal with the reality of life. Life is real and it's got real problems. But we also have real victory in Christ Jesus. And in him we are more than conquerors. First John chapter 4 verses 2 to 4. First John chapter 4 verses 2 to 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The verse 4 is always normally quoted in the language of the old King James, uh, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's a very interesting word there in verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The word overcome is a very interesting word because it says what it is spelt like. To overcome means that something is going to come and you will go over. It means something is going to come against you and when it comes against you, it will not crush into you. You will just rise above it. And I believe that tonight you will over everything that comes against you. So basically, it's to go over, it's to rise above, it's to be elevated above what is coming against you to overcome also means to succeed against the competition it implies that there will be a competition or there will be people challenging what you have to offer to overcome deals with challenges and with winning to overcome is to break through a resistance 
something that wants to stop you from making an advance when you overcome it you break that resistance and i trust god will cause you to overcome now in the passage and normally uh, when i'm teaching i stay with the text and uh, try to work with the text as much as possible in the passage we are told what is coming against us because in verse 2 it says by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that christ has come in the flesh is of god and every spirit that does not confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh is not of god and this is the spirit of the antichrist it is within that context that the bible says we have overcome so there is something coming against the church there is something coming against the believer and it is called the spirit of the antichrist the spirit of the antichrist a very interesting concept the antichrist and i suppose that some of you have heard about the antichrist the antichrist is a personality or an entity who would be revealed sometime in the history of the human race in our future this personality will be revealed and he'll be everything that is opposite of christ but in a sense also look like christ but be opposite him he would look like christ in the sense that he would have power to also do miracles and signs and wonders but the source of that power would be everything that is against god it would be the devil himself just like uh, jesus was god come in the flesh the antichrist will be the devil in the flesh fully manifested and somewhere in the history of the human race this personality will emerge that's going to happen somewhere in the future he's not yet manifested although sometimes you look at some people and they look like the antichrist but we have to be patient with them uh, he's not come yet now in the passage it talks about the spirit of the antichrist so although the antichrist has not manifested physically the spirit by which he will operate is already in operation and how are we going to know the spirit of the antichrist the passage tells us that every spirit that does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, what does that mean? It means that the Antichrist is against the manifestation of Christ in the natural world. The Antichrist is against the manifestation of Christ in the physical world. The Antichrist is not really bothered about the presence of Christ in the spirit. So far as he remains in the spirit. But anytime Christ is going to manifest physically, there is going to come a resistance of the Antichrist. What does that mean? It means that the Antichrist opposes those who have the spirit of christ in them manifesting christ physically he opposes those who have the spirit of christ in them manifesting christ physically what does that mean now how many of you believe you have christ in you 
Okay, most of you believe so. Some of you are still thinking through the question. How many of you believe you have Christ living in you? Okay, all right. Christ lives in us by his spirit. But anytime we do something as a result of the spirit dwelling in us that must be seen by people, we have manifested Christ. Christ has been seen in the flesh. So, for example, this auditorium is Christ manifested. When somebody sees this building or comes into this building, they would instantly see what these people believe is now given manifestation. This building is Christ manifested. When a church builds an, a big building, it's Christ manifested. When a believer wants to do something great for God, it is Christ manifested in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist, his main agenda is to make sure that the believer has Christ in him, but never manifest Christ. So anytime a believer attempts to manifest Christ, he's going to come against a resistance. It's called the spirit of the Antichrist. So, for example, if uh, a church uh, is spirit-filled, tongue-talking, but never do anything, they never build anything, they never do anything great, they never do anything fascinating, no opposition for them because Christ has not been manifested. But the day that church decides it's going to do something significant for God, everything in hell is going to break loose against that person because that person is moving from Christ within to Christ outside. I hope you are getting it. So if you are a believer, for example, and uh, you love the Lord and you speak in tongues and you pray in the spirit, but you never attempt anything big, life will be very normal for you. But the day you decide, I'm going to build a factory, I'm going to do something great, I'm going to build my house, I'm going to build a factory, uh, I'm going to build a, a business, I'm going, to, I'm going to do something for the world to see that what I believe is real in the physical world, the spirit of the Antichrist will rise up. So don't ever be surprised when people sometimes out of nowhere rise up against the church have you noticed have you noticed in this world that when any organization builds something massive everybody is happy when a big stadium is built for football everybody is happy oh what a great stadium a big hospital is built everybody says oh that's a great project a big school is built Everybody is happy. Uh, a big nightclub is built. Everybody say, wow, what a great project. A big hotel is built. Wow. Just name it. For any sector of life, if people go to Dubai and see the Burj Khalifa and the tallest building, they say, wow. They see the, the one on the sea, the Burj Al Arab, they say, wow. People go to Las Vegas and see all these gambling facilities and they praise it and people write about development and all of that. The only thing people never rejoice when it is built is a church building. 
build a massive church building and the first question people is going to ask is why don't you give the money to the poor have you noticed that now the people who build the Burj Al Arab have they solved the poverty problem in the world no we're building we're watching the World Cup everybody's watching Russia look at those stadiums have they solved the poverty problem no if one church was like one stadium the story will be different why is it that the world permits everybody else to manifest what they have but never feel comfortable when the church is manifesting this is the reason because the bible says the spirit of the antichrist is against christ manifested in the flesh anytime a believer seeks to do anything extraordinary they are going to come against the spirit of the antichrist it is the job of the spirit of the antichrist therefore to hedge the church in and to keep the church locked in and the church unexpressive they would want the church just to be very spiritual but never materially manifested that is the essence of the spirit of the antichrist now for you as a believer if you want to do anything yourself extraordinary you're going to come against the spirit of the antichrist now you may say well uh, everybody comes against that no you see when satan was going to tempt jesus you remember the temptation of jesus when he was after he had finished fasting 10 stones to bread jesus says no yourself up jesus says no final temptation show him all the nations of the world shows him all the wealth of the world shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glories of the world and then he makes a very interesting statement he says all of these have been delivered to me and i give it to whomsoever i will delivered to me and i can give it to whoever i will and he says to jesus bow before me and i will give it to you now jesus didn't say the devil is a liar if the statement was a lie he would have said satan you are a liar you don't have that power and you can't give it to anybody jesus didn't refute that statement jesus simply said i will not bow to you in other words i want that power there are two ways i'm go that that power can be gotten i can get all of that by bowing to satan that's one way that's what is being offered or i'm going to get it somehow in my own way well we know that at the end of the book he got it because when he resurrected he said all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me so what jesus was saying is i want it but i'm not going to bow to you to get it i'm going to get it by my victory which we're going to talk about very soon uh, which i prevailed on the cross through the blood of jesus but the reality of that fact is that satan also is committed to empowering people whose agenda will not be for god so if somebody will bow to satan they would have power 
The counter is when we bow to God, we also have the same power. It is in the interest of the Antichrist to ensure that a genuine born again believer doesn't manifest Christ in the flesh. He can have Christ in his spirit. He can worship him quietly. He can pray quietly. But anytime they step out to do something extraordinary, the Antichrist is going to come against him. The good news is that we have overcome them. We have overcome them. So the spirit of the Antichrist opposes the manifestation of Christ in the flesh. Now, so the passage tells us what is coming against us, the spirit of the Antichrist. Why? He doesn't want Christ to be manifested in the flesh, in the natural world. Then he tells us what is working for us. He says, you are of God. You are of God. In other words, your place in God is a weapon. And then not only did he say you are of God, he says that God is also in you. The greater one is in you. Who God is to us and whom we are to him is key to overcoming the spirit of the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 to 12. Revelations 12, 10 to 12 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Satan, who is the father of the Antichrist, is called the accuser. Accuser is one who finds fault and speaks against another. One who is always blaming. One who is always looking for an offense. One who is always trying to find fault. It says that Satan is an accuser and, and it is his job. And he does it constantly. How does Satan accuse us? Five ways that he accuses us. One, he accuses us to God. Satan accuses us to God. Anytime we fall short, he denounces us to God. He accused Job before God and continued to accuse us before God. His desire is that God will give up on us. God would say, I'm tired of these guys. They mess up too much. I don't want to deal with them any longer. He never succeeds, but he never gives up. If there is any good thing about the devil, he never gives up. The devil never quits. He's been bound. He's been cast out. He's been, uh, he's been uh, uh, maltreated throughout the ages. Still going strong. Never gives up. Never gives up. So he accuses us before God. It never works, but he continues to accuse us before God. Not only does he accuse us before God, he accuses God to us. So he accuses us to God. God, these people are no good. Then people, God is no good. Anytime we feel discouraged, he accuses God before us. Satan is the one who keeps throwing words of doubt in our minds. 
concerning God's faithfulness. He's the one who makes us feel as if our worship is for nothing. When he accuses God before you, he tells you, but you've been faithful in the house of God. You've tithed, you have given, you have been faithful, you have prayed, you attend every meeting. Why are you going through all of these things? And somehow makes you feel that because you have served God and because you're going through difficulty, God has not held his end of the bargain. He accuses us to God. He accuses God to us. Then he accuses us to our brethren. When we go through some trouble, he whispers in people's minds words of suspicion. He points our mistakes out to people. People who are supposed to help us all of a sudden depart from us because they are hearing words of accusation against us. He accuses us to God. He accuses God to us. He accuses us to our brethren. And number four, he accuses us to our brethren. When our brethren sin, or are misunderstood, he accuses them to us. He's the one who makes you always look at somebody and give up on the person. You look at somebody and say, this person has no future. This person would not be able to achieve anything substantial. That is the accusation of Satan against your brother. But the most dangerous accusation of all is that he accuses us to ourselves. He's the one who makes you feel you are no good. You look down on yourself, self-pity. You despise your talents. You despise your assets. You despise opportunities. He talks you out of greatness. When you think you can't achieve much in life, guess who is accusing you to yourself? It's Satan talking to you. When you think no one loves you, Satan is talking to you. When you feel everyone is your enemy, that's the devil's accusation. Because you can't be the only person in this world where everybody is your enemy. When you keep talking about your past failures, that's Satan's accusation. When you think everyone has left you behind, that's Satan's accusation. When you think your prayers are not powerful enough, that's Satan's accusation. I've heard people sometimes say, I pray and I, I feel like my prayer is not going. Well, prayer doesn't go. We, we don't, our prayer doesn't travel kilometers to get to God. Our prayer doesn't travel a distance to get to God. Because God answers our prayer according to the power that is at work in us. The power is not outside of us. The power is in us. And sometimes people say, well, my prayer is as if my prayer hit the ceiling. Your prayer doesn't go up. The God, God connects from within you. Let me give you an example. I don't know where power is generated from here. Nigeria is quite an interesting place, I'm sure. <laughs> but all things being equal, if, if, if you were getting electricity from the mains, uh, there would be maybe a thermal plant or some other plant in Lagos. That's, is there something like that? I know everybody has a generator here, but just suspend that concept and let's think the normal thing that everybody connects power from uh, a dam or, or a plant. Now, let, so, so the plant generates the power. The plant generates the power. There are high tension cables that bring the power to a substation. Substation brings it to your facility and so on. No matter how much power that is at the plant, what works in your house 
or in your home is not the power in the plant. It is the power that is in your house from your own switchboard. So when you turn on the light, the power that works in your house is the power that has come in your house. That power in your house is connected to the main. Between the main and your house, there is a connection. But what works for you is the one that has come to your house. It's the same with the power of God. There is power in heaven. That power in heaven is hooked up to power in you. When you want to pray, you don't run to heaven with your prayer. Your, the power is already hooked in you. There is a substation inside you. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is hooked up to the power of God. So when you pray, your prayer doesn't have to travel. It's like when I turn on the electricity here, it doesn't have to travel to the dam. It just go to the switchboard and I get power. It's the same thing. Our prayer doesn't travel. Our prayer is at work according to the power that works in us. You follow me? So therefore, if you are praying and the devil says your prayer is going nowhere, well, where is it supposed to go to? Or you're praying in a room and you just feel God is not hearing you. God is not hearing me. I feel God is far away. Well, if you want to say he's far away, I don't know where God is geographically. But the universe is a very wide expanse. It takes millions and billions of light years to cross our universe. If God created the universe, then he lives outside of the universe. So if your prayer is going to go through the Milky Way galaxy and go through all of that to get to God, go beyond the universe to get to God, you have a long time to wait. You have a long time to go, wait. But the power, the prayer doesn't travel. Never ever think when you, the power is in us. So how do we overcome the enemy, our accuser? And the Bible tells us a few things we used to accuse. First, it says the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is our power. And what does the blood of Jesus do? The blood of Jesus cleanses us, makes us acceptable to God. When we sin, the blood of Jesus washes us. You know, I know that thought sometimes is uncomfortable for people because people feel you make salvation so easy that, you know, you sin, the blood of Jesus washes you. You sin, the blood of Jesus washes you. Well, Peter asked Jesus a very uh, interesting question. He says, how many times must I give, forgive my neighbor uh, in a day? Jesus, seven times? No, he thought seven was a good number. You know, seven times? Jesus says 70, 70 times seven. Now, if God expects us to forgive 70 times 7, do you think he'll do less? So, if a believer sins and God forgives you and he sins again, and God forgives you and he sins again, God forgives him, sins again, God forgives him, sins again, God forgives him, sins again, will God continue to forgive him? Yes. So, should I continue to sin? Along the route, there is mud. So, you go run, 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 you fall into the uh, mud. You have to go back to the starting line. You are giving white jersey again. You run, 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 run. You fall down. You go back. You get white jersey. Yeah, you're getting white jersey, but don't you think you are being a bit silly? There is a race ahead of you. 
Don't you think you should at least get one white jersey and make sure it doesn't get messed up so that you can finish the race? You will be forgiven, but you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You're wasting energy. There is something far more better than forgiveness waiting for you. God will forgive you at 70 times 7. And if you exhaust all of that, because some people need more space. If you exhaust all of that in one day, his grace will still abound. But, but the blood of Jesus washes us. There is no sin beyond the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Don't ever allow the devil to tell you because of a sin that you committed some time ago, God is punishing you today and that's why your life is not getting on well. No, God does not hold guilt against us when we confess our sins. If you come to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But as a smart human being, you have to make sure that you are not tripped and you are not beset by sin that you are able to run the race to the end without any weight or hindrance but the blood of jesus is there to cleanse us the blood of jesus is our covenant the blood of jesus is our covenant keeps us in covenant with god the blood of jesus is our covering keeps us safe in christ the blood of jesus on the doorposts of israel in the land of Egypt, protected them from the angel of death. The blood of Jesus is your protection. You don't need anything else beyond the blood of Jesus. I know Africans, one of the big problems, Africans are like the Jews. Always see something. God will open the Red Sea, do all kinds of things for them, but they need to see something. To hold something, they need something. So their faith always must have an object. Their faith must have an object. And God says, don't, don't, no object, no object, no object. Just believe me. Uh, but, but I need to hold something. God said, no, no, don't hold nothing. Just, just believe me. But, but I need something. So we're always trying to get something, you know. Get this one, you know. Put this on you. Wear that. Put this around your waist. This under your pillow. And, 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 and even when we become born again spiritual, we still want something. We still want something. We want something to hold. But when we come into Christ, there's nothing to hold. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to touch. There's nothing to drink. We walk by faith and not by sight. God is not looking for tokens. Emblems. I know as Africans, it helps our faith. But it doesn't really help our faith. It diminishes our faith in the unknown and unseen God. The God we cannot see, whom we fully believe. That is what faith is. I don't need to touch anything to believe. I don't need to drink anything to believe. The power of God is not a liquid that I drink or something that I bath with. The power of God is universal. And we walk by believing that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because of that, when it comes to covering, because Africans like protection. Because the African spirituality 
always envisions that there are cosmological forces engaged in warfare somewhere somewhere that we must be protected from there are male violent forces that these forces have got power and that if you don't do something they would do something so we always want to do something when I was a kid, you know, mo- most mothers like to protect their children. My, my mother was a nice woman, you know, but ignorant, but nice. And, and they will cut you in, you know, some places and put some black powder in there. And then next time they, you go in somewhere, you're drinking something. Next time they give you something put under your pillow. Sometimes next time there is a brass uh, ring you must wear. Sometimes there is a necklace you must wear. They are trying to protect because they're, hey, she's an African. She believes you must have something to protect you. I came here to announce to you, you don't need any object to protect you. The blood of Jesus was shed 2,000 years ago and that blood is sufficient and, and efficient to protect you against every weapon that is formed against you. There's no demonic power that can stop you from progress. There's no weapon of the enemy. There's no incantation of the enemy. There is no release of spiritual power. You may hear the person has killed a cow, has killed a goat, has actually killed a cat in addition, and killed a dog, and maybe a parrot also, added to the mix. And, and, and you've heard all, oh, they've done all of that, and they've planted something in your house. Yeah, that is all they can do. But the greater one works on our behalf. And the blood of Jesus is sufficient and efficient. This is how we overcome. By the blood of the lamb. So when you go out there and you see men who are competing. And you you know whom they consult. And the incantations. For the same form that they have. We walk with a cool and calm assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. You can go into the enemy's camp and you can do exploits where Satan is planted and you do great things for God. The spirit of the Antichrist cannot stop you because we have the blood of Jesus. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. That is why I am fully persuaded that you will build that building. You will build that factory. You will build that business. You will, you will do it in your time. Because of the blood of Jesus. Resisted him and said he couldn't take out the things. And it became a tug of war. Uh, and, and the man took off. He was wearing a cover cloth. He took it off. I think to impress me. Not with his muscle, but with the armaments. African armaments. There were all kinds of talismans and leather and all kinds of stuff around him. And one of the guys who came said, you, you have to be careful. This man, if you talk against him, you, 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 you won't see that the sun will not set on you. That's what he said. But I had just been filled with the Holy Ghost. And I started speaking in tongues. And started making declarations before him that I, I would live and he would not live. I'm sorry I said he would not live. I didn't know as much as I know now. I would have said, I should have said he should live to see the salvation of the Lord. But I said he should not live. And Lord, I'm sorry that I dispatched him too quickly. But, but he, he, he went. 
he went. He went back to the village. Next thing I had, I, I don't take pride in that. I don't take pride in that because we don't rejoice in the, in, in the death of a sinner. Every sinner uh, must be saved uh, and before, before they go to meet their maker. Uh, but I didn't know much. But all I'm saying is, we have the power. Somebody say, I have the power. Say, I will build it. Say, I will do it. Say, I will manifest it. Because of me, Christ will be seen. Because when you build that factory and people ask, who built it? They would say, that child of God. That is Christ in the flesh. You build that hotel, that is Christ manifested. You build that stadium, that is Christ manifested. And very soon, you build that airport, that is Christ manifested. That is Christ manifested. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And then we overcome him also by the word of our testimony. Our testimony is based on our convictions. We settle in our hearts that God loves us. You have to settle that God loves you. God has no second class children. God doesn't love me care of anybody. God loves me directly by himself. And God loves you. And God hears you when you pray. Answer to prayer is not based on feeling. To speak. And we talked in the microphone. But millions of people heard us. But if you looked at it, it didn't look like I was talking to millions of people. It's not about your feeling. It's about the technology that is taking what you say and using it. There is spiritual technology that when you pray, you may feel you are quiet in your room, you are powerless in your room, but when you say, Father, I come in the name of Jesus, heaven opens for you. Father, I say in the name of Jesus, heaven opens for you. Because when we say in the name of Jesus, we are not praying through Jesus. You know, Christians, we don't pray through Jesus. We pray in his name. The praying through Jesus can be a very, very hard prayer. Because then the prayer has to travel from Lagos. Go beyond the solar system. Finally get to where God is. And then go to Jesus. The competition about billion. By the time you go billion other people are talking to him. How does he sort it out? Makes it a bit complicated. We don't pray through him. We pray in his name. When you say father in the name of Jesus. It means father at this point that I'm speaking. I'm not Mensa Otabel. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Father, I come not in my own name, but in the name of Jesus. So you may not like Mensa Otabel. You may not like what I did yesterday. But this is Jesus talking to you. This is your son talking to you. And it is in his name that I speak. That is the basis of our prayer. If God was going to look at you to answer your prayer, your head is not nice enough. And sometimes even your prayer is not nice. Some of you use bad English to pray. And if God was judging, God was marking your prayer, 
He'll say, look at the grammar. You are talking to your father in heaven. Look at the grammar you are using now. But God does not judge you based on grammar. He does not be, judge you based on your own merits. We are judged on the merits of him who died for us and rose again from us. His name is Jesus. And this is how we overcome. We say, Father, I come in the name of Jesus. The moment you say that, heaven opens for you. No angel can intercept your prayer because you go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus. That's our conviction. The word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is our claim. When, when we overcome by what we claim, taking full possession of what is ours. That phrase claiming, you know, if you're a believer, you, you've probably heard the phrase, claim your blessing, claim your promise in the name of Jesus. These phrases sometimes come from a historical background. When people settled in the United States of America, they settled first on the east coast of America, New York, uh, you know, Massachusetts, New England, east coast. And they come to the first point, east coast, they settle. But the vast part of the U.S. was going to westward, getting to California from west, east coast to the west coast. People were not going there because everybody wanted the east coast. So they devised a way for people to own land. And one of the ways they devised for people to own land is uh, they would get people, mostly young men, very energetic, who wanted land to farm. And they would give you a, a peg in your hand. A peg in your hand. You start racing. The, you, you line up on your mask, get set, go. And you start running. And you run and run and run and run and run and run. And wherever you get to that you like, you put your pig peg there. Boom! You claim the land. The same thing happens to us as believers. When we become Christians, God says, run all you want. But get to the point where you say, I claim this for myself. The word of our testimony is what we used to claim. What we want. So if you go through mushy land and you don't like it, you are just passing through. If you're going through thorny land and you don't like it, you are just passing through. But you get to a good and a healthy land, you say, I like this one. You take your peg and claim it. Now, I don't know where you are running in life now. Maybe you are running through thorny paths. Don't claim it. Don't say, as for me, my life, life suffer, suffer. I just came to suffer. You didn't come to suffer. You are going through it. it is, don't claim it for yourself. Don't say it is mine. Don't say it's my destiny. Go through it quietly. But one of these days, you will come to a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you come to that land, don't say that is for somebody else. That is your land. You have to take your peg and you have to claim it. I came here to announce to somebody. You're going through some tough land. You're going through some difficult land. But God is going to bring you to an open space. And you're going to take your peg and you're going to claim it. Most times when I go to many cities, most cities, 
people, oh yeah. I am saying, as I see, so shall I possess. Not exactly what is there, but like what I see. I'm putting my peg down. Go put your peg somewhere. We overcome him by our confession. Saying the things. God said to Abraham, how is he going to, what's he going to say around that word? God says, go, go and kill your son. Structure his language. The wood, the fire, but he said, I should kill you. So just, let's go quietly. That was an option. He didn't exercise that option. The Lord will provide himself. How did he know? God didn't tell him I would do that. But he claimed it with his mouth. He said there will be a replacement for you, son. Far away you are from God, he'll bring you near. For everything I've said, not just courage, not bravery, it's Christ in you. Just name.